myself behind. So welcome, Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolo. Coming to you on 88.3 WLIW-FM, Long Island's only NPR station. You can also stream us online at WLIW.org slash radio. Hey, Sock, how's your week going? My week has been pretty good. Um, I uh, I got tested for COVID. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, no symptoms, but I uh, felt like with the um, summer here, there's been a lot more social interaction. And uh, I felt, along with uh, Dana, my, my girlfriend, uh, that it's it's let's put a time stamp on everything and, and mm-hmm. make sure that we're well and then and then maybe double down on our vigilance uh, at the moment because uh, it, there's just a sense of unease that uh, people are starting to get a little bit closer and interacting yeah. a little bit more and all of the science and all the other stuff seems to be um, saying that if you do that it could come back and bite you in the ass. Did you did you get your results? I did get my results. Uh, negative, uh, you know, uh, much like my outlook. Um, <laughs> oh, and- <laughs> you are one of the most positive people I know. I know, no, I negative. I. It's funny, uh, you and I both like. I think in high school too, like we wanted to be the goth. Like I wanted to be goth, but I'm just so like happy all the time. I can't, oh, I, can't I know. My it. version of goth was like Barry Manilow B side. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh my um, god! But but uh, yeah. So but I'm good, and and uh, you know, and, and trying to stay cool in the in the summer heat. Well, you know, it's interesting. Our guests today, we're going to have Jonathan and Renee Shapiro, and they've been married for a very long time. They've gone. They've started. Um, you know, several businesses, successful businesses. And it's really made me think about both, you know, partnership and keeping it new and fresh and and entrepreneurship. But like, uh, you know, uh, the people that I know who are really happy and successful, they don't necessarily do the same thing their whole life or live in the same place. They, They try different stuff. As Benjamin Franklin once said, the only constant in life is change. (laughs) <laughs> oh so, god we're starting with ben franklin hey, quotes. we're we only are. like three minutes in oh of my god okay. no but but i i know that that uh you know i i recently got a chance to meet and and, and chat with with john and renee and and the one one of the things that really jumped out for me is is their ability for reinvention their ability to try and cut through some of the the haze of life and figure out what would give them both a satisfying personal experience, but then also hopefully a lifestyle brand. Uh, their their series of stores, Mixology, was a fashion brand, and there's one in West Hampton. There is Beach, one right? in West Hampton Beach, um, and uh, you know, John before that was involved in hip hop, and and now they um, are kind of on the precipice of launching um, a, a CBD brand that uh, also is about, I think, um, apparel. I mean, it has to do with clothing too, doesn't it? Yeah, well, we'll find out. Oh, yeah. But I, but I, I I think it's it's about it's about uh, the moods that we carry and 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 the ability to use things to to be a better version of yourself. So I think that's going to be a really. Well, cool I'll even take it. Yeah, and I'll take it a step further. I think that it also has to do with the satisfaction you get that when you find something that helps you to be able to share it with others. Absolutely. And if you can monetize it, man, more power to you. But it's about paying it forward. It's about finding something that works for you. And uh, John, I, I'm a little more familiar with John's story than I am Renee's, but you know, uh, he's going to, I'm sure he'll talk about it, but I totally relate to having the occasional psychotic break and, um, and the good that comes out of it. Renee reminded me a lot of, of our conversations. Uh, she's, 
in training with with meditation. Oh yeah, and uh, you know you're in your training. Oh, I'm done with my training. I'm a I'm a full fledged card carrying shaman, dude. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, so there's a lot to chat about yeah. here. You okay, know? well it's going to be a good show. So you're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alex Sokolow, and we'll be right back after this. Right, so we are back Sundays on the East End on WLIW 88.3 on the FM dial, number one in your hearts. <laughs> this is Alex Ocolo. And Bridget Leroy. And we want to welcome on our show uh, the rarest of rare birds in, in America, a successful marriage. And uh, a successful, and a successful business. business. Several <laughs> successful businesses. Uh, John and Renee Shapiro. Um, welcome, guys. Hey, great to be here. Great to be here. Thank you for having us. How are you guys? We're really good. We're really good. You know, considering everything that's going on, I think we've uh, we got the right mindset, uh, and uh, I think we're we're in probably one of the best places we've ever been. Uh, Jonathan, I wanted to kind of start with you. I, I know a little bit about your um, your background, and that um, very much like me, <laughs> you were kind of a lonely child who played by yourself, and you know, read books and stuff, and then the at around 14, you kind of had a breakdown. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and what good came out yeah, of it? Absolutely. So, um, you know, I had, I guess you would call the the normal suburban upbringing. I was uh, in Cedarhurst, uh, New York, uh, here on the South Shore of Long Island. Uh, mom, dad, dad had a business that his dad had in the jewelry business. And uh, mom was attractive, dad was attractive, and they had me. And then uh, a whole bunch of things happened real quickly. My grandparents on my dad's side both passed at 50 within six months of each other. My dad sort of had a major breakdown, decided that his best decision would be to have an affair with his secretary um, and sort of just peace out and sort of just leave us uh, to our own devices. So my mom was Susan 1, and then he met Susan 2. And uh, off he went. And suddenly at four, you know, four years old, it was a very different existence. Uh, my mom was really ill-equipped. I call her a, an entitled hippie. Uh, she was very ill-equipped to deal with life on her own. She was not self-sufficient. Uh, and I think she probably was dealing with some mental illness much differently than other people because she had this incredible optimism always that things were going to work out. But that doesn't always relate to actual things working out. Sometimes you got to put in the work. Um, and so we were sort of left to our own devices there. And along the way, uh, I became very introverted um, and comic books and superheroes and Star Wars, that sort of became my existence. And uh, it sort of became the theme uh, for the rest of my, uh, rest of my life um, up to that point. What led you into hip hop then? So when I was 14 years old, I was still living with my mom in Cedarhurst, and I was just, you know, it was an untenable situation. I refused to go to school. She didn't know what to do with me. So she said, listen, we got to go get some testing. I refused to get testing and something just broke. The police came and they took me away and I spent two weeks in the Nassau County Medical Center lockup. And it was at that time that my dad finally decided to come back into the picture and he said, I'm going to take custody of you. And I thought, okay, great. I'm going to restart my life. I'm going to restart everything. Uh, my mom was living in a lot of lack. 
uh, in terms of financially. My dad seemed to be living in a lot of, of abundance. And so I was really looking forward to this change. My mom had surrounded herself with uh, a lot of stray animals and a lot of uh, things that you know, were important to her, uh, music, taking care of animals, but not a lot of intensive parenting. So I was excited to restart my life. And it was at that time that um, hip hop was just starting to come about. And I was in summer school and uh, this kid, uh, I was lucky to grow up in, uh, in Lawrence and in Cedarhurst because we had, it was multi-racial. And because of that, there were these kids uh, from Inwood and they had the most incredible music I had ever heard. I, I had heard this first run DMC record called Proud to be Black. And it was just like, what is this? This is unbelievable. It spoke to me in a way that nothing had spoken to me. And I just became obsessed from that point. And I just tried to get as much hip hop as possible into my life. So do you think it, it definitely like it, it filled a hole that you that you had? Yeah. I mean, listen, I was this scared, weak white kid. And suddenly music, this music was this powerful black, you know, music that just was all about everything that I wasn't. And it just gave me a new identity and it sort of brought me back to comic books a little bit. You know, I was the, I could be the hero and hip hop reminded me a lot of, of heroes because, you know, everybody had a alias, you know, nobody went by their real name. Right. Um, and so I took on an alias too. And then I became John Saint. So John Shapiro, Jonathan Shapiro was, you know, this very scared anxiety ridden kid, but John Saint became somebody much different. And I was able to take on this new persona and hip hop was the vehicle that inspired me to do that. And so I became very involved in hip hop. I was very lucky in the sense that I was in New York in the beginning of hip hop. So the guys from Public Enemy were in Roosevelt, which were, you know, 20 minutes down Peninsula Boulevard. And, you know, the Bronx was happening and Brooklyn was happening and Nas and Boogie Down Productions and Rakim. And I was in the middle of all of it. And it was still a really undeveloped genre. Um, but what I did was I would wait by my radio and the only time you could hear hip hop was on Friday and Saturday nights. Marley Marl, man. Yeah. <laughs> Marley Marl and Red Alert and Mr. Magic. And the only time you could hear hip hop. So what I would do is every Friday and Saturday night, I would sit in the house and I'd have my, you know, my, my old tape recorder on and I'd be pressing pause, record, pause, record, trying to capture all the music. And then during the week, I would take those recordings and create mixtapes because I was so excited about the music and I would distribute these mixtapes for, for free. And slowly but surely, I decided, you know, I began to get a following of people that were waiting for what were called JS mixes. And so I started to spread the word of hip hop around and slowly but surely, um, that began to be something that began to form really what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and it went from listening to hip hop to writing hip hop, um, to then becoming actively involved in hip hop. Renee, what are you doing while all of this is going on? What is your childhood? What is your what are your teenage years look yeah, like? Where, so, where did your journey begin? Um, so my journey began on Long Island as well. Um, my uh, I lived with my grandparents. My uh, both my parents uh, died. Uh, my mom, when I was two, um, she died of a drug overdose, and my father died of a drug overdose as well. Um, but he died when I was 15. Um, 
So I definitely had an interesting upbringing, but my grandparents were wonderful, amazing people. And so I'm very fortunate and very lucky. And uh, then what happened? What did I do? <laughs> you survived. I mean, that's the first thing. Yeah, you, you survived. You survived. So I did. I always had like a, a, a hope. I always knew I, would, I was meant for good things. When you survive childhood trauma, I think Freud would say all childhoods are filled with trauma that define us. Um, it, I, I certainly know uh, just from my own uh, version of that, uh, you love putting on new skin. You love finding a new role to play and, and kind of shedding uh, the, the, the old trauma. Um, so, so, Renee, you have this experience. John, you have your experience. And, and yet you, you both, when you meet, you, you gravitate towards each other. Did you met, you were still in high school, yeah? We're close to it? No, Renee, it was funny. Renee grew up in Hewlett, uh, Hewlett, Long Island. I grew up in Lawrence, Long Island. We were a town away. Renee was three grades older than me, which I'm so always excited to tell people. But only two and a half. Right. So I got a really hot older woman. Um, and, uh, we actually met in the city. So I, I, was, I had just turned 19. Uh, all my friends had gone away to college. I had a couple of uh, friends that were girls going to FIT. And I was just breaking into the music business at that point. Uh, I had hooked up with um, the attorney for Public Enemy and for um, uh, Next Plateau Records through a couple of connections. And he was shopping my demo. And I just wanted a change in my life. You know, I, I just I couldn't be in Long Island anymore. So we're in the city and we're in I live in this building in um, Gramercy Park. And I live on the third floor. And his friends, Kim and Pam, live on the fourth floor. Mm -hmm. And I'm in their apartment all the time. And I go upstairs and Kim and Pam always have people over and there's a box of Walls cookies, which is a bakery from our town. And I'm like, ooh, kind of a cookie. <laughs> and the guy looks at me and says, no, they're not yours. They're Kim's. <laughs> and that was it. I fell in love. <laughs> oh, my God. But the, it's amazing. I mean, you know, people, you guys have bucked the trend. I mean, really, people who... The statistics are get married, you know, before they're 20. They tend to change and grow and grow apart. But you guys not only have grown together, you, you have three kids, you've had three businesses together. So tell me, you know, uh, let's jump ahead just a little bit. How did you guys come up with the idea of doing a, a, like a clothing? A Beautiful Girl was first, yeah? I was in the music business and recording a lot of music. Uh, Renee was working retail. Always. Always. She'd always had a retail job. She was doing some modeling. And eventually, as the music business began to evolve and change, there was a whole bunch of things where Napster came out and it was very hard to monetize downloads and nobody knew what was going on. And I was getting a little old for the business. At 22, 23, you're getting. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and, um, and Renee was working at a, uh, a children's uh, clothing store. And this other sales girl was working with her and they both had this idea. They were like, you know, the town needs a layette store, a store that sells, you know, a clothes for, for, for newborns. And they just wanted to start a little concession. And they went to the owners of the store and the owners of the store pushed back hard and said, no, you know, you work for us, you can't open it. And so they made a decision they were going to leave. And it was just at the same time I was coming out of a psychotic break and it was uh, a whole big moment of change where I decided to give up the music business 
and follow Renee into retail. And I had done a bunch of stuff in, in the music business outside of just recording and producing. I had worked on the, the business side uh, for a company called Searchlight with uh, one of the, the originators in the hip hop business, a guy named MC Search. And I learned a lot about marketing and promotion. And I sort of applied all of the marketing promotion I had taken from hip hop and from music and brought it to this local uh, store in Woodmere. And Renee's talent um, to connect with people was just, it was astounding. I, I, I don't think anybody had ever seen anything like that. And so what happened was very quickly, we went from having customers to having absolute fans. And I related to that from the music business, that sort of adoration that I was missing, we started to get from our customers. And so we started to feed into that. Yeah, people were just drawn to us. People always seem to be drawn to us. I mean, and we've always been on the right trend. We kind of go with the flow and I don't know. It was great. It was really, really fun. We are going to have to take a little break, but I do want to go back a little bit. Talk about your your second um, mental you know, break, Jonathan, because it sounds like to me, you know, as a shaman now and Renee, as someone who is also you know spiritually inclined, in other cultures, when people have kind of a mental breakdown or something, they look at that as being something with the spirit world or, or like, like only good can come from that. The people who have, you know, cause you can't build yourself back up until you break yourself down. So I'm interested to hear a, a little bit more about that. I think our audience would be too. What do you think, Song? Absolutely. And, and I also would just say one of the things that just before this break that I love already in this conversation is is this idea of uh, i'm going to say reinvention but really it's this forward motion mm -hmm. this idea that where you are at any one moment is just uh, as as our guest last week paul anacone said a bus stop on a series of bus stops and so i think that's a, it's an amazing thing to focus on uh as as we ultimately move into the conversation on your latest uh launch which is happening uh, in, in the next week or so uh, on, on your latest lifestyle brand. Anyway, you're listening to Sundays on the East End. This is Alex Sokolow. And Bridget Leroy. We will be right back after this musical interlude. <laughs> Yo, Jay, hit it. Let's go. This beat is my recital. I think it's very vital to rock around. That's right. On top. It's tricky. It's Here we go. And we're back. Sundays on the East End. Bridget Leroy here. And Alex Knuckle is still here in and his earthly form. In your, yes, in your corporeal body. And we're talking with uh, Jonathan Renee Shapiro. Um, Jonathan Shapiro, also known as John Saint, successful hip hop artist right at the you know beginning of that. Dude, you wrote like the theme song for Ambient? <laughs> Yeah, I know. I, you know, people love to hear that story. When you're a musician and you're an artist and you're trying to get gigs, uh, I was in a studio in Tribeca and there was a lot of industrials would come through the uh, studio, which were like commercials and a lot of pharmaceuticals. And I was the perfect white rapper for all of these gigs because I could enunciate and I was easy to work with. I didn't scare anybody. <laughs> And so, you know, they'd bring me into these pharmas, these huge pharmaceutical meetings. We'd go to like these giant campuses, you know, in like New Jersey, these uh, like amazing places. They had their own like electricity and stuff. Right. And they'd put a boom box on in a room full of guys with suits. And, you know, and I'd be like, Ambien, own the dream. You got to own the dream. It's Ambien. 
I love it. Oh my gosh. Did you feel like in any way, I don't know, you obviously you talked about the comic books and the superheroes. Like your your one of your superpowers was maybe making people feel comfortable with, with your hip hop? <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, I felt a little bit like a performing monkey, but I also, you know, listen, it was a gig, you know, it, listen, it wasn't Madison Square Garden, um, but it was, you know, it, listen, it was money. I was contributing to the house. And you were living the dream. <laughs> right, exactly. I was living the Ambien dream. I did Ambien, I did Plavix, I did, uh, <laughs> I did Showtime, Comedy Summer. Uh, I did a whole, you know, thing. That's so funny. Yeah, so let's go into the branding stuff. No, no, right? no, I want to hear oh. about the psychotic break first. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so so the psychotic break happens. Basically what happens is, I'm, I'm sorry, might, honey. We might need two hours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, so all of the stuff that I grew up with, all of the stuff, the anxiety, the probably uh, a genetic stuff that was passed down to me, thankfully, from all of my parents and all of their issues, right. uh, plus my, my strange upbringing, was a lot of unexamined anxiety. And Renee, when I met her at 19, uh, sort of was this cure-all. You know, she was the most incredible person I'd ever met. She was the most beautiful girl I'd ever met. I was a virgin when I met her. So suddenly, you know, oh my God, I have somebody who will uh, have sex with me. This is unbelievable. <laughs> like, this is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Uh, and so I'm really happy. And I'm like, let's get married. This is a great idea. Uh, we're going to make some money. We'll get our own apartment because, you know, people give you money for the, for your wedding. It seemed like a good business decision. Um, and so, <laughs> <a> romantic. So, <laughs> yeah. So, but listen, I'm like, I'm so in love with her. Like two weeks after we met, the minute I met her, like she she tells the story about the cookies. It was set up. I knew exactly what to do. I went to Walls. I got these cookies. I was so insecure, but I was so living in my own ego. I was living in this John Saint ego, a hundred percent completely, and it was completely inauthentic to who I truly was. But I was so afraid of letting anybody see who I truly was. This damaged kid from Long Island. I saw through it. Yes. Well, thankfully, Renee saw through it. Yeah. So I just, I was in love with her the minute I met her. And and, and I just was like, all right, I know that if I tell her no, uh, she's going to, something's going to happen. I, I just didn't know what to do. And, and it was a couple of times I blew it uh, very early on in the first week or two. She grabbed my hand and she was very forward and she was very confident. And I grabbed my hand away and I was like, oh my God, what did I do? This is my first opportunity. I'm finally going to get a kiss. I mean, this is crazy. I'm 19 years old. I I've been you know, waiting for so long for somebody. Uh, thankfully, she was very persistent and we stayed together. And I think, I think recently we were just named for the fifth year in a row, the most codependent couple in the island. <laughs> and there's a lot of competition for that. So, yeah. So I think that that's something that we're really working hard towards consistently. And we consistently do that. And we, well, everything, it works for us. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever works for you. So everything's going well with, with your romantic life and, and, and everything. So what do you think led to the, you said you had all this kind of anxiety. Just eventually just things started to fray at the edges. I think it was a combination of being in the music business, which is not an easy business. There's a lot of rejection. Um, there's a lot of uh, stuff that goes into it. And just eventually the, 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 the edges started to fray and my thinking became very convoluted and I decided to make this huge shift creatively. I decided that I was going to give up hip hop and I was going to become, I became obsessed with like Nirvana and the alternative scene. And before you knew it, and thankfully my producers were very, you know, were like, okay, we can try this. 
I recorded an entire alternative album and it was like very overwrought and very uh, full with a lot of emotion. And, and um, eventually it just all started to just fall apart. And the people around me just were like, okay, this is more than just you're a weird creative guy. Like you're starting to get really dark. My thoughts became really dark. And Renee finally said to me, listen, I love you and I'll love you forever, but this is not going to continue to work this way. And I want to see if we can get you some help. It got really, really bad. Like it was, it was, he was toxic. Dr. Korn had, um, she said two things to me that I'll never forget. Um, the first being that John and I, she looked at us, we're a young couple with no kids. And normally she would, you know, not advise like working so hard to stay together. Why, you know, if we, and she looked at us and she said, the two of you love each other so much. She felt the love. She knew there was something more there than just, you know, nothing. And then she looked at me and said, you have to treat this mental illness. It's a disease. It is a disease. It is like having cancer. It is like having diabetes. It is like having any other disease. And if you if John had cancer, if John had any other disease, you wouldn't leave him. So you need to treat mental illness as a disease. And no one had ever said that to me before. And I never really understood it. And there was mental illness all around me growing up. And I just never knew it. And I never knew it was a disease. And, and until that moment, you know, I'm, I don't know what, 25 years old, and I'm sitting there and this woman is telling me my husband has a disease. So of course, how could I leave him? He has a disease that needed, you know, needed me. Right. Right. And same. I guess with addiction and, and with your own, you know, tragic upbringing with your parents as well. Yeah. Yeah. No. So with my parents, so I don't know what any, so I have no information on anything that happened because no one ever spoke about anything then everyone denied, denied, denied. I didn't even know my mother died from that until I was like 24. Like I thought she always died of an aneurysm. So my whole life I thought my head was going to explode. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, because no one talked about the truth. No one told anyone anything. And it just was very quiet. And I don't even know if you had an addiction. Taking the stigma out of mental illness and taking the stigma out of addiction allows, I think, uh, what, what I certainly try to practice to detach with love, gives somebody the dignity of their uh, pain and their, their humanity while still loving them completely and unconditionally. 100%, yes. But in this period, you come out of it and now uh, you're moving into retail. I know we're kind of switching into that. And what was the road to mixology? So basically we're in, we're, we're in retail um, and Renee and I are rocking and rolling. We start with uh, this uh, first, she started with her concession, Beautiful Baby. Then that moved to its own store called Beautiful Kids. Uh, she had the partner that uh, we bought out, um, and then I came into the business full time. Right, it was just the two of us. And it was just the two of us, and the energy between us, and the energy with the customers, and our trend predictions. You know, one of the things that happened in our local market in in Long Island is uh, everybody was fighting for the same clothing lines, um, and everybody was trying to buy the same things. And because we were small and new, and didn't have a lot of resources, we had to figure out how we were gonna get ex customers excited if we couldn't get the hottest clothing lines. And so what we did was we discovered all the new clothing lines and made them hot. And so slowly but surely our reputation grew as being trendsetters and really knowing, knowing what was gonna be next. And how did you do that? That's, such a, that's a great statement, but that seems like a very complex process. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was. The thing was, you know, Renee is incredible in terms of being a trend spotter, a buyer, and a person. that she's in the room with you. <laughs> and I think you're number six of most codependent co- uh, couple yeah, right. of yeah, I mean, listen, And that's a big reason why we keep winning the award. Um, so, but it's true. And, you know, I, again, I was coming from the music business. When I got into hip hop, it really was at the very beginning of hip hop. So I had always seen what was next. I had always felt like I was on to the next thing. Um, and sometimes I was a little in front of it, um, but we got, we got lucky. We found some, I'm also, sorry, Sarah. Also, you know, I love a challenge. So it's always a challenge. It was a challenge to get new lines that were cool that no one else had. And I love that. I love a challenge. So with Renee's ability to find new lines, my ability to market and to use uh, whatever technology was new at the time and whatever was going on, uh, we created a lot of experiential events. Uh, people really weren't doing that in local retail. Um, and we created a very strong fan base and then we realized the power of collaborations and partnerships. So, uh, we discovered a line called Ed Hardy, which a lot of people probably remember was this tattoo t-shirts. And, uh, I became very good friends with the owner, uh, who's passed since then a guy named Christian and he brought Ed Hardy and we brought Ed Hardy to New York. Wait, I didn't have a pair of Ed Hardy sneakers. Yeah, we yes. we had everything. We had Ed, Ed Hardy sneakers, Ed Hardy backpacks, Ed Hardy uh, shot glasses, Ed Hardy trucker hat. What do you call it? Like a crystal skull, or what, what do you call it? Yeah, them? exactly. Yeah. I love that. So we saw very early on that they had a very strong strategy of getting celebrities to wear their products, and so we were able to leverage their celebrity following to create our own following for the brand, and then we started to duplicate that with other brands. And then the recession happened. Then here we go. We're, but no, no, no. But before the recession happened, it's like we're living the American dream. You know, Renee and I were at one point on welfare. We had nothing. We were living in my mom's basement. We were living on her grandmother's floor that for six was, months. That was the psychotic episode. And we had nothing. We didn't. Our car was repossessed. Everything was gone. I had destroyed everything. And so we built it up. And suddenly my mom would decided to move out to Southampton. Which, which was her dream to be an artist out in Southampton. And she inherited some money from her, I believe it was her aunt. her, her aunts who had no kids. Mm-hmm. And so she put the house that I grew up in on the market, this house that I ended up leaving when I was 14 uh, to go to the hospital, I ended up and I found this really, really disreputable mortgage company. <laughs> and they were like, well, we could take your sales from beautiful kids and we can use them as, 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 you know, reportable income. And long story short, I bought the house I grew up in. So we're suddenly living in this house we grew up in and business is really good. We don't know how to run a business, but we're really good at what we're doing. Um, you know, in terms of we're, we're buying great things, we're selling a lot of them. We seem to be making a ton of money. But we're not really doing the things that you got to do to like run a strong, strong business from like a, a, a business perspective. But we're making money. So we're like, all right, it's time to get a Mercedes and it's time to get a Lexus and it's time to go on a Disney cruise and it's time to do all this stuff and live the suburban dream and, and do all this stuff. And, you know, the kids are starting Temple Israel Nursery School and it's all good in the hood. And then 2008 comes. Recession hits and it just hits a square in the head and nobody wants to buy $200 jeans for their 10-year-old anymore. Right. And we're like, okay, this is not good. And we had no plan and we had no strategy on, on how to deal with it. So 
it's crisis, you know, uh, knock on the door. Hi, can we have your Mercedes back? Knock on the door. Hi, can we have your Lexus back? Hi, this, your house really, you know, you're going to have to go into foreclosure. And so the amount of pressure and stress that came from that suddenly triggered something inside of me. And like this idea got downloaded. I, I really feel like it got downloaded to me. And I saw this whole new retail concept and I called it mixology. The whole concept was mixing and matching price points and providing value. So Renee's skill was in buying and in trend prediction. And we were able to find these amazing clothing lines that were being brought in from China. And they were able to sell them to us for like, you know, 10 bucks. We were able to resell them for 68. So our margins were much better than they ever were. And our customer was so excited to get the experience again of shopping at a boutique, but the prices were much, much cheaper. Right. They loved us and they followed us. They were going to follow us no matter what we did, but now they could buy it and feel okay about it. And it was great. It was making them look good, feel good. They were happy. Everyone was in a recession, but everyone was feeling good about themselves because they could spend $50 on a top and wear it with their jeans they already had. And, and then on a, personal, on a personal level, you know, what was your takeaway from your experience with, with the, like, what did you say you would never do again because of the recession? What did you learn both personally and, and business-wise? Oh, we learned so much. <laughs> we learned so much, but I don't think we learned enough, to be honest with you. I think that it really took more lessons. I think that uh, it was the beginning of understanding, like, you know, when, when, I, when, when we started Mixology, we had absolutely no resources to start it. So I had to go find a partner who would put in the initial money. Which um, was not a lot to begin with. It was tiny. It was a tiny bit of money. I mean, <laughs> we recouped the money the first month we were open. But I was looking for more than just a partner monetarily. I think I was looking for a mentor, for somebody that could help and to sort of support our efforts a little the, bit. The father figure, probably. That you yeah, think. the father figure I was looking sure. for. I were all looking for that. <laughs> so I think I was very open to letting letting somebody else come in and sort of mentor me. So I, I found somebody locally in the community whose daughter worked for us. Uh, it beautiful girl had a great reputation and uh, hopefully was had had. Seemed very, very successful, financially successful. And I wanted some of that. I wanted to understand how to monetize all this talent and all this effort we were putting in. You know, how do I get over that? How do we get over that hump? So, what we learned is we learned to listen to other people and yep. not just be so impulsive, right? Like we did kind ethics, of ethics. Ethics were huge. So, the ethics of paying everybody first. You know, when we had Beautiful Girl, we paid ourselves first. And if we had money left over to pay our vendors, we would do that. Uh, we just didn't know differently. So the whole ethics and the whole concept of how we went about being business people changed. So our reputations and the business grew tremendously. The retail business is like a lot of businesses. It's a very uh, cutthroat business. A lot of people don't pay their bills. So our edict going in at Mixology was pay your taxes, pay your vendors, pay your employees, do everything right, be ethical, be smart. Um, and we did that kind of teach yourselves this because you didn't have a whole bunch of role models. Exactly. So that's really amazing, you know, that you were able to find the, I guess, the quote unquote right way right. of doing things. And, and at the same time, you have this concept of an idea of mixing and matching both price points and styles that, that give the consumer, give your, your customer a sense of uh, authority in their own decision-making in retail as opposed to just being 
taken on the conveyor belt of retail. Right, right. Um, they can give them their own sense of individuality. And and, and it explodes, right? I mean, like at the height, you know, you guys had 15 sites, you had 15 stores. And if you can manage a good idea at a low point, you can scale it up. And so it's a good idea. Yeah. So what happened was as we were going about, it was really a dream. Uh, it was a fantastic run. Uh, we went from one store in Oceanside, New York, and then we quickly opened in Hewlett. Then we quickly opened uh, in Woodbury. Then we went to Rybrook and we hit all of those uh, great suburbs of the tri-state area. We went to Westport. We went to West Hampton. We went to Southampton, uh, Roslyn. Uh, we went to Closter. We went uh, to um, a bunch of places. So <laughs> Lots of places. But within some point within that context, of doing that, um, things started to change. There was a fundamental shift in the company. Uh, my partner, who started out as a silent partner, decided to become less of a silent partner as our success grew. And the concepts behind how we wanted the business to go and how they wanted the business to go began to be disparate. And Renee was a very was very vocal in in raising the red flag and saying, "Listen, we have magic here. Don't ruin the magic." I, on the other hand, uh, was more apt to say, I don't have all the answers and I am willing to go down a corporate path because I want to achieve that financial success that has been eluding me. And so the big moment happened where uh, we were based in Hewlett and I had offices in the back of Hewlett. Renee was working in the front of Hewlett and we were still together, even though I was running all the corporate. And then suddenly we expanded more stores, and then my partners moved us to a corporate location in another town. And I went from being with my wife every day for the last 20 years to suddenly being in an office away from her and away from the energy of the sales floor and away from the energy of what that, that, that give and take that I, I love with the customers. All the creativity, all the interaction. And, and I, I, I knew it didn't feel right, but I also said to myself, you know, I can't be selfish. I've got three kids. I've got one. At that time, I had one in college. I had one in high school, one in middle school. And if I want to achieve that financial success, I'm going to have to watch these TED Talks. And I'm going to have to look at these KPIs, these you know key performance indicators. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to have to do this stuff and, and be that businessman that my dad was as much as it was something I pushed against my whole life. Right. But something funny happened. You know, as that as the years progressed and I did this and I excelled and I pushed myself into this box and I opened store after store after store and after was, store. He was miserable. We were miserable. Every night at home was just we'd argue and talk about the store and it was just always right. I just knew it didn't feel right. Nothing was right. It wasn't nothing felt good. It sounds like you both lost your authentic selves in the in the brand kind of taking off like that and you had to make compromises to your soul. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Just way too many. And again, I didn't want to be selfish. You know, part of the healing process for Renee and I from our childhoods was having children and those children would never know. We would do everything within our power. Uh, we'd move heaven and earth so that they would never know the desperation or sadness that we felt. And we did that. You know, so we made all these sacrifices so that our kids lived the most, you know, quote unquote, normal existence that they could have, you know, and in that we gave away a lot of ourselves in order to do that. And then something magical happened. Well, wait, that's a very good place for us to take a break because uh, yeah. we want to hear about the magic. Um, 
And I mean, I'm, I bet it has to do with reinvention because that's what I'm kind of getting here. But yeah. uh, we're talking with uh, John and Renee Shapiro of Mixology, Hip Hop, Happy Coupledom, and the next step that we're going to talk about after this break. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. On WLIW 88.3 FM, Long Island's only NPR station. We're going to be right back after this. Welcome back to Sunday <laughs> with Alex Sokolo and... And Bridget Leroy. We're talking with uh, Jonathan and Renee Shapiro, and uh, we were just on the precipice of a magical moment. Yeah, so let's let's dive right back in. So you're, you're, you're living the, the dream. You're living the corporate dream. It's a Faustian deal. Uh, you, you both end up uh, more successful than you probably could have imagined uh, when you started, but more miserable. And this led to an epiphany, a, a, a moment of clarity. Yeah, that led to an epiphany, a moment of clarity. And I, I was dealing with a just an unending anxiety. Uh, I've realized now that the universe, you know, uh, was telling me, you are just not in alignment. You are completely not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Part of the, I love that you used uh, that uh, Faustian term because it really, it did feel that way. And the creativity that I had for the business, all of the exciting things that drove the business forward. And one of the big things that we didn't get into, um, but it really plays into what we're about to do, is the special sauce at Mixology was that we had 10 of our own clothing lines. Um, and those clothing lines, Renee uh, created, but I created from a brand standpoint. Okay. So for every category in our business, whether it was dressy or casual or sweats or uh, going out, I created a brand for, and that brand had a reason for existing. And uh, I'm a font guy, so one of my, uh, you know, one of the things I love to do is look at fonts. Uh, it's a strange thing, but I love fonts. So creating the fonts and creating all the peripherals for it, and so I had a tremendous. That was a creative outlet for me that felt really, really good. Um, and slowly but surely, even that, you know, became so corporate in the way that we could be creating brands. Um, but it was something I did well. Because it was something you weren't using your intuition anymore. It was starting to get to, you know. Yeah, I mean, it was, and we brought in just a plethora of outside services, uh, budget planners and uh, CTOs and- Back to and the magic, back to the magic. Back to the magic, sorry, sorry. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, I, I want to hear about like, yeah, tell us- magic, yeah, no. So what happened is, so I'm really unhappy. I'm sitting in my windowless office and, uh, I, uh, uh, somebody is doing this mar uh, multi-level marketing thing where they're selling CBD and said, Hey, I got the sample of this CBD product. Uh, do you want to try it? I had no idea what CBD was. I really didn't know. Um, I was on pharmaceuticals since the last 20 years, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Prozac, Trazodone, Risperdone. I'm on, I'm on team Prozac. So <laughs> yeah. You know, this is all trying to get my, my anxiety under control, but every day I'm out of alignment, the anxiety is getting worse. I'm trying to increase my meds. It's not working, but I try CBD mm -hmm. and lo and behold, like, wow, like I'm starting to like feel something. I'm starting to feel this sort of wholeness, this sort of more of alignment. And this is with taking his other meds. Like, it's not like he went off his- Yeah, no, this is, this is just a supplement. Right. I'm just supplementing. Yeah, this is just supplementing, but- 
I am so I start consistently using CBD, and slowly but surely, um, the anxiety begins to abate. And as the anxiety begins to abate, my vision becomes very clear, and I see I am trapped in this maze that I made for myself. I, tra I trapped us here. Our life was mirroring whatever was happening in politics. It was the craziest thing. Whatever was happening in the media, whatever was happening, it was like our life was mirroring it, and it was just we hadn't we couldn't get out of it. It felt like so. It's like you're you're reactionary and no longer carving your own path. Exactly. I just didn't know what I was doing anymore. I was just you know it wasn't musical. It wasn't it wasn't spiritual. It wasn't feeding me anymore. It was just and. Amazing is that you see that, and there's lots of people who don't see that, but there's also lots of people who do. But then they can't do the next step, which is reinventing, which is starting something new. So, so you've got the CBD. It's helping with your anxiety. It it's it brings you this this clarity of really the the bird's eye perspective of your own life. What do you do? So, what do I do? Is I say, you know what? This is the business I want to be in. I, I want to be involved in CBD. And I go about having these weekend sessions when I'm not at work and having these really deep creative sessions where all the ideas and what I'm seeing as I go down the rabbit hole of CBD a little bit is each thing I uncover about CBD is just more exciting than the next. And it just becomes this thing that becomes just so enthralling to me and so exciting that I realize this is what I want to be doing. Of course, I had a mortgage. I still have a mortgage and I had kids in college and they expect a normal life. Uh, at some point, I just could not continue it anymore. And I said to Renee, 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 you know, Renee and I were both in agreement and we said, listen, I'm going to. But you said what you said to me, you said, should, should we do it? What should we do? Of course. What should we do? I, I didn't know what to do. I knew that we couldn't continue. And I said, absolutely. We should do this. Just we had we had to get out. We had to. I love that. I feel like very much, and a lot of people know my husband Eric. I mean, uh, you know, we're we're very different people, but uh, whatever. I I'm the one who is always jumping in feet first, and no matter what I do, he is 100% supportive. We have moved. I've been like, I don't like this house anymore. I don't like this state anymore. We're gonna <laughs> wherever you know what I mean. And it's just like, and and with without like a lot of funds. That sounds like. I mean, you had the mortgage, you had the kids in college, and yet you still had that faith or that, that, I don't know, that vision to be able to just move forward. Listen, I had always had a very, um, I think from an early age, I had a, a somewhat fatalistic view of the world because I was in so much pain as a young person and suicide and those kind of thoughts were always sort of in my, in my uh, pattern. And what happened was it's a very freeing thing uh, to some extent. If you believe that you know you have a terminal illness and you only have x amount of months to live what do you do with those months right. and i began to think in those terms and so before i got on stage i'd have a little stage fright but then i would say to myself in a hundred years none of us are going to be here what am i worrying about what am right. i thinking about why do i care if these people in the audience if i completely screw up and of course once you have that freedom you excel and you do it you have an incredible performance um, and I always had that thought in my mind, which was, you know, time is really short. Time is finite. And the most precious thing we have is time. So I said, I can't do this anymore. And something amazing happened. I made this choice and I came up with this concept 
And Renee and I were just like, Renee was on her, one of her last buying trips for Mixology. She was in LA and I sent her the deck that I had created on myself. And I was a, a graphic artist, that I, a self-taught graphic artist. So I created everything myself. Everything was completely just from my head. And I showed it to her and she said, oh my God, this is unbelievable. We got to do this. Long story short, I still wasn't ready to do it completely by myself. So I got it out to a couple of people. Um, I got it to somebody who, uh, I can't talk about who it is, but we, we, we have a nickname. We have a nickname, Shark Tank. Okay. And this is somebody who is like super, super important in marketing and, and, and consumer brand goods and loved the idea and said, listen, give me the idea. And in a couple of years, you know, this idea is going to be worth X dollars. And, you know, do you want to go for it? And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not really listening. The guy's completely amazing and completely honest. And he's like, listen, it's going to take time and you may not have a role in the beginning, but I'm not even listening to that part. I'm like, this is great. What, what is the idea? Let's talk about this new launch. Oh, so let me okay. tell you about the idea. Okay. So this is new. So this is new. So I, 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 I moved this idea away. COVID happens. I'm screwing around with different CBD ideas. As soon as COVID happens, Renee and I are looking at the precipice uh, and it all falls into place finally. What do people need more than they need anything else? They need a new mindset. They need to be able to change their mindset. More importantly, they need to be able to choose their mindset. Our mindset has always been a growth mindset, not a lack mindset. And we had two choices in this place. We could either choose to have a lack mindset and say we couldn't do anything or have a growth mindset and just go for it. And that's what we did. And so Mindset Wellness was born. Mindset Wellness CBD, that's the new product and the new brand that you Yeah, the new brand is Mindset Wellness CBD. The site is, if you go to the site, Mindset Wellness CBD, you can sign up for emails where we're going to get, um, you know, you'll be first to know about the launch. It's a Long Island-based company that, that you've started again. It's a Long Island-based company. What's Mindset Wellness CBD? Like, what is the yeah. mission statement, I guess? Okay, so basically Mindset Wellness CBD is, is we have six specific mindsets. Happy, calm, focus, health, beauty, and rest. And those are six mindsets that we think are the essential mindsets for us and for people to get through, especially what we're all dealing with. And we have products that will bring you and guide you to those outcomes. And that's not easy. So it took two years of research and development to figure out how to get these mindsets. So basically we're using a full spectrum cannabidiol product, which is CBD, full spectrum as opposed to broad spectrum means it has a non-detectable amount of THC in it, which is legal, uh, and other botanicals. And then we added what are called terpenes. And terpenes are these amazing, uh, things that are organic compounds that you find in fruits and plants. And they're the basis for most essential oils. So when you smell lavender, that's a terpene. Or you smell pine, that's a terpene. Mm -hmm. um, and what they always thought was terpenes were just these great smells. But what's been happening is terpenes now have their own medicinal benefits. And so the combination of CBD with specific terpenes that have specific effects combined with other botanicals like B12, vitamin D, kombucha, we're able to get specific mindsets out of the CBD. So we have this great product called Happy. You know, we have happy gummies, happy tinctures, which we call drops. 
and they actually work. It's the most incredible thing on the planet. So in the clothing business, I would sell an experience. That experience was completely emotional in the sense that somebody loved a, a piece of clothing and they would get an emotional response from it. Now you actually get a physical response from this product, emotional and physical. It's the most tremendous, exciting thing. Well, that's what I was gonna say. You sound incredibly excited about it. And I think that that's the basis of, of everything. I mean, uh, Alec and I both know, and my, my dad used to always say, like, do what you love and the money will follow. I mean, you really need to do it. And it also goes to paying forward your own mental wellness rather than mental illness where it, where it stands right now. So we're, we're going to have to wrap up kind of soon, but um, this has been like a very exciting conversation. Absolutely. And your entrepreneurship and your passion the people that listen and everybody, where can they find this product? Where, where can they follow you guys? Because you guys are both forces. Yes, please, uh, please. We need, we, we definitely, uh, we need more social media in, interaction. So go to Instagram, go to Mindset Wellness CBD, follow us, um, go to our own personal Instagrams, John St. Shapiro at Instagram. Renee Shapiro with two O's. <laughs> um, you know, we have very we have we have we have egos that need to be stroked. So if you can please uh, give us some likes and some love, we would appreciate that. But you can sign up for emails at mindsetwellnesscbd.com. Yes. Sounds very similar to mixology. You're allowing people to kind of be the captains of their own ship when it comes to uh, their mindset and and the role that they want to play in their own oh, 100%. lives. 100%. Listen, everything that's happened up to this point, and that's a big thing. Um, Renee, when I went on my CBD journey, she went on a spiritual journey. Yes. And she discovered meditation and manifestation. And I've been teaching her about CBD, and she's been teaching me about spirituality. And it's all beginning to happen now exactly the way Renee told me it was going to happen, that if I was to open up space and I was to let things in, all these great things would happen. And, you know, it's just, there's so many synchronicities that are happening. He always tells himself a story. And I just kept saying to him, stop telling yourself that story. Stop telling yourself that story and open up and let it come. Yep. Right. It's so true. Well, it's been a wonder, really, really wonderful getting to know you guys. I'm sure our audience are enthralled. They can they can follow you at mindsetwellnesscbd.com to get the newsletter or uh, on your Insta handle. And thank you, John and Renee Shapiro. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. Alec, yeah. you want to add yeah, any last words? Yeah, well, here's what I say again. Thanks, guys. I feel like we got to have you back on. We're just cracking the surface of this conversation. Oh, don't worry. They'll probably have another, they'll have another career in five, 10 years. There'll be some other. <laughs> I hope you come on before then, but yeah. To everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, as you go forward this week, you know, please stay safe, wear your masks, socially distance, all of that stuff is so important, not just for you, but for, for your, your neighbors and loved ones. Uh, and, and never stop moving forward. Never stop following that light that, that uh, is just out there. It, it sometimes is not an oncoming train. Sometimes <laughs> it's a star in the sky. So uh, thank you all for listening, everybody. Be well and stay well.